Hello and welcome to the first of our epic um, World Cup episodes of Football Unfocused, um, the uh, groundbreaking, revolutionary and world-beating podcast presented by Mark and Matthew. I'm Mark. That's Matthew. Hello. Hello, Mark. God, he did it unprompted. He's learning. Uh, <laughs> I had to double check myself. I was like, did I say that right? Yes, I did. Mm. <laughs> right. The aim, the aim is to make these a little bit more bouncy and less structured than uh, normal ones because, you know, we might do uh, these more frequently. That's kind of that's the um, the aim, depending on uh, factors. Uh, so I won't necessarily always go into the usual ritual of asking Matthew uh, leading questions about his personal life. Oh, in order thank to, goodness. Uh, this is a relief on the brink. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll, we could just talk about football. Yeah. So I'll just ask him questions that are like directly relevant to um, um, the, the, the the FIFA World Cup. Which started on. I'm in fact, in fact, giving it more thought. What I might start doing is giving him test questions uh, to see how much <laughs> oh, of it he's no. been watching. Ask him about like sort of goal scorers, <laughs> you know, time of goal kits, that sort of thing. <laughs> how you know World Cup history. Um, I won't do that now. Actually, no. I'm going to pluck. I might pluck one of those uh, at the air. But uh, first question, Matthew. It's a geography question. What's your favourite uh, Middle Eastern country? Mm. Oh, I can't think of one that isn't. Give me a couple that aren't that contentious. Wow. So you see what he's done there is immediately focused on the negative. Sorry to any of our Middle East Eastern uh, listeners there. Because what he's yeah, done there is he's, he's cast all Middle Eastern countries as contentious. No. Outrageous. No, that's it? it. So I I just didn't want to. There's many fantastic Middle Eastern countries. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a Tory politician. <laughs> you're on the back. You're on the ropes. You're on the ropes. <laughs> you're massively on the ropes there. You just go, oh, um, many fans who have made all have made an incredible contribution to our culture and our education and our the world of science. And you know, we would be lost without them. That's that's the sort of thing that you should be coming out next if you were, I don't know, Dominic Raab or. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Braverman. Persia. But she doesn't even Persia. Tend. Persia doesn't exist, and I think surely uh, you know that, don't you? I mean, that's that, that was <laughs> what Iran used to be known as. <laughs> oh, Iran then. Yeah. So Iran's your favourite. You like what is it you like think, most about yeah, the I way think so. the, Iran treat their citizens? Mm, I like the way the the football team of um uh have have sort of held themselves. Yeah, good. Right. In, so so that so you're just prepared to overlook the way that they've been, you know, massacring women in the street who have been protesting against uh, the um being forced to wear a traditional headwear. You you you'll ignore that and people being sentenced <laughs> to death for protesting against the government and say I like Iran's my favorite because their footballers didn't sing along with the national anthem. Uh Qatar then. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second question. Literally from the top of my head. Which country in the world has won the most World Cups? Brazil. How many? Uruguay. Oh, incredible. Which is Six. it? Six. Which is it? Uh, Brazil. Yeah. So not... Five. Not Uruguay. Five. Five. Five Uruguay or Brazil? Is it six Brazil, five Uruguay? Uh, I think... Is it Uruguay three? Two. They won the first uh. one. And then brilliantly, they won in 1950 in Brazil with a... That 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 game like haunted the Brazilians for for decades, and then ironically, the next time they got to host the tournament in 2014, they got another kind of chastening, sort of 
generational humiliation in the semi-final with their seven-one defeat to to Germany. Oh yeah. yeah, I think the goalkeeper who let in a late goal uh, to lose to Uruguay in the nineteen fifty World Cup for Brazil had like a lifetime of hell because he was held personally responsible. It's shocking when that sort of thing happens, isn't it? Like you just think, my God, it's literally ruined someone's life. But That's I was- like David James. He he. He got a bit of stick for playing computer games too much or something. A bit different, isn't it? I mean, only <laughs> people who support only people who supported Liverpool were bothered about that, and even among them, most people weren't so fanatical about it. They brought it up for the rest of his life. Uh, he can he can sort of walk down the street, can't he? Very yeah. very happily. So I'd say that's a, that's actually a bit a, different. An awful comparison, yeah, yeah. Even by your standards, <laughs> yeah. 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 Five is right, Brazil is right, uh, if you said those two things together at some point. I think uh, I did. Yeah, good, <laughs> good. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, final question. This World Cup is in Qatar, even you, with your uh, basic level of interest, shall I say, rather than knowledge. I don't want to put you down. Uh, <laughs> uh, but where was the 2014 World Cup held? Uh uh well did you ju- Germany, wasn't it? Incredible. I've literally just told you it was Brazil. You and just told me, yeah, it's yeah. U- Uruguay. I, no, it wasn't Uruguay. It was li- I literally just told you it was Brazil. Brazil. That's why I just asked the question oh, and you've, fuck. you've you've gone you've heard oh. Germany because you heard that Brazil had a chastening semi final defeat to Germany and you've 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 put two and two together and made when, fifteen. Yeah. When was it in Germany? It was two thousand six. Oh yeah, and yeah. 1954. Sorry, 74. They won it. I was oh, okay. I was speaking to a colleague. Switzerland. Well, yeah, but Germany I mean, did win. Obvious. Win that they won in 54, 74, 90, and 2014. Big tick. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I was saying, I was saying to a colleague about how it's quite not this is quite an enjoyable World Cup in terms of the number of goals being scored. Um, Spain have just won 7 0. Yeah. And obviously, there's 6 2 England. 4 1 uh, France over Australia. Yeah. Yeah, but then uh, there's been 3 0 goals, Yeah. It's but, weird. But All I was the goals about are... the. Go on. The South Africa World Cup. Yeah. And how that was uh, a notoriously low scoring kind of group state. And like Spain, I think Spain won it. They won all the games 1 0. Yeah. Eight goals across the whole tournament. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, maybe in one game they scored more than one, but they did. They were winning most of their games one nil. They, they yeah. lost their opening match to Switzerland and then barely letting a goal for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, it's interesting you raise that because I think I heard a statistic earlier on, and look, you know, I might be wrong. We're not here for fucking uh, statistical <laughs> accuracy. If you want that, go and like subscribe to the Athletic or something. But um, but I'm pretty sure that there was only one nil nil draw in the entirety of the last World Cup. Um, which was, I think, a Denmark match. Uh, and they've, ironically, they've already been in a, a nil-nil draw in this one. So there's been three so far. So even though there has been a lot of goals, the concentration of goals are in sort of three or four matches. It's been, um, you know, a few stalemates. And it's been um, it's been a funny old start. But before we get into that, Matt, because I know you're going to have a huge amount to say on what's been going on on the pitch, shall we cover some of them? some of the things kind of around this World Cup because I know everyone's been discussing it. I know it's, um, you know, a bit, probably a bit tried and tested and a bit cliched, but 
this is a World Cup like no other. I mean, the fact that we're in the in Europe, sitting here in uh, late November, in sort of you know cold, dark environment, um, watching World Cup matches is clearly the first and most obvious thing that's unusual. But then everything really about the location, the way it was awarded, and the controversies around uh, Qatar as a nation and their treatment of people is uh, worthy of comment. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw it to you for once, Matt. What do you have? I'm interested to know what you, as a, um, as a, shall we say, a casual observer of football, whether you have any strong opinions or, or any opinions uh, about what's been happening. Yeah, I think it's been really, really, um, as you said, it's been unlike any other World Cup in, in many ways. I think, um, we, I just mentioned to you before we started recording about, you know, hearing Gary, Gary Lineker presenting the football as Panama Lights and hearing Ian Wright and Roy Keane vociferously uh, frisif- support, you know, the the campaign in support of LGBT. Uh, rights and and seeing Alex Scott where the one love the yeah just just so many you know and I, and I think it's I know it that's not I know some people I think don't quite like that element they think football should just be for just about kicking a ball about and stuff but um I think it's made I thought it's brought, brought a whole new element to to what it to what it is to to play sport you know to uh to yeah be part of society and you know what it means that's interesting that you say that because as somebody who is not basically not asked about football (laughs) does the fact that there's a kind of cultural and political ferrari over this world cup ironically make you more rather than less interested in this tournament if it was in a you know a kind of um, it's definitely made yeah, more definitely more so. Definitely more so. Mm. I mean, it's just yeah, you know, and, and just. But what do you think? Like, do do you think that because there's there are so many kind of backwards and forwards arguments, aren't there, about this World Cup? You can you know you can get on your high horse about the the treatment of women, the un you know the the tragic and appalling level of deaths of migrant workers and the way that those workers were treated. Clearly, the uh, illegality of uh, homosexuality and the punishment, draconian punishments that dished out to those people, the corruption in terms of the way in which the World Cup was given to Qatar in the first place, and even certain elements that we can discuss about the way that you know factors in the tournament so far. I'd say there's been a lot of way more empty seats than you would usually see in the stadiums, which must be, you know, I am kind of guessing four days into the tournament, but I, it must be because of the prohibitive cost of going to this particular World Cup, um, the lack of accommodation, and also, I'd imagine, people's moral objections have played a, a big part in that as well. So the, the kind of the contingent following each country, certainly of those that have played so far, seems to be significantly down on what it would be uh, in an, I was going to say in a normal tournament, but the last tournaments in Russia, and this hmm. is my point. See, so, so you got all that on yeah. one side, and all of that is is kind of worthy of discussion and and in some respects condemnation. But then you look, well, four years ago the World Cup was in Russia, who are kind of you know worldwide public enemy number one at the moment, unless you're sort of Belarus or China. 
uh, or North Korea. So, and and then you know, again that that line that you um, referenced that people love to say, "Oh, separate sport and politics. The two shouldn't have anything to do with one another. Sport should be all about the purity of the competition." But that's all very well. But FIFA. You, there is not really a more political organisation than FIFA, just in terms of the things that influence them, the way in which they um, sort of position themselves to take advantage of sort of regional um, um, loyalties. The way you know the way the way in which pretty much every FIFA president um, since um, uh, Set Blatter has, which admittedly is only two, but still. Um, but even um, prior to that, Joao Havilland has seen the benefit once they've switched to one member, one vote, have really courted the um, the sort of block votes of the continents that have more countries, so specifically uh, Asia and Africa. And clearly in, within there, there are going to be some regimes that are maybe different to the uh, Western democr- liberal democracies that we maybe arrogantly think that you know, sort of prescribe onto the rest of the world in terms of this is the way we think you should run your life. So I don't know. It is, whilst I kind of, I clearly on a on a personal level stand by and support much, most, if not all of the, the condemnation. And I, I feel deeply uneasy about this World Cup being in, in Qatar. And, you know, I, I absolutely despise FIFA as an organisation. Do you think it's fair that, to say that that you know you do have to be careful about the sort of double standards and hypocrisy from sitting here in you know the the UK looking down our noses at countries that um, you know just because they're different to us and have different values. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really fair. You know, uh, listening to Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart's. Um rest his politics podcast i mean rory stewart he was i think he was in qatar when they were recording it and he was saying you know there felt an edge of uh islamophobia uh or you know tinged with the criticism that the qatar were getting um and that you know during the noughties um, you know, Western democracies were sort of going around the world, preaching to others, telling them how Western lifestyles were so much better, but often with a, you know, invading Iraq. Hand. It, yeah, yeah, with a gun in their hand, invading Iraq, invading Afghanistan. Um, so, yeah, I, I do, I am conscious of when I, you know, that there are many terrible, terrible regimes out there. And also, I mean, I, you know, without getting too kind of, deeply sort of historical about it when you as unfortunately as as two british citizens depressingly when you look into the the sort of origins of so many of the world's problems this country is right at the heart of it and you know even down to the uh, the formation of qatar in the first place and the way it was as with so many of sort of post-colonial states the way in which the, the british kind of evacuated themselves from that area and leaving a a, a vacuum that isn't necessarily always filled by the um, uh, the greatest uh, uh, regimes, um, but even the um, the kafala system of owning workers, where businesses and uh, essentially own their workers, and they need to, without the sort of specific sign off 
um, by the um, by their paymaster, they can't actually leave leave the country. That's not something sort of invented up by the Qatari regime. There was, that was the work of a British diplomat in like the 1920s who went over, saw an advert in the Times and went over and um, basically ran Bahrain and introduced <laughs> that system to take advantage of the desperation and the low economic status of the local workers and the migrant workers who would need to go in and support that society. So I know that, you know, you can trace anything back and and and, and talk about who's who's the kind of, who bears the historic responsibility for that. And I do also see the flip side of that, that that isn't necessarily relevant to the to, to now and, you know, the people and the way society is now. And that doesn't, that shouldn't detract from your your rights as a sort of liberal-minded person to point out, um, sort of, you know, atrocities and, and abhorrent regimes and, you know, the, the uh, uh, subjugation of, of people for whatever reason. But it is an added complication, isn't it? You know, and you just think if you look at it from a Qatari point of view, because I've been I've been thinking, I've heard it said quite a lot that Qatar really, I think they must have significantly underestimated the extent to which the scrutiny of their country would have continued. Even I think that they probably thought once they got the bid, oh, there's going to be a little bit of heat. But then once that dies down, people will just look at look at what they've built here. They've spent, I think they've spent something like 20 times more than any World Cup um, uh, host bid winner has, has ever in terms of build, building, because they've had to essentially build an entire country, haven't they? Within And it's all, with the, every, every venue is within 50 miles of the other. So they've had to build a, you know, their the transport infrastructure, uh, eight or nine new stadiums from scratch. And essentially towns have had, whole towns have had to pop up. Um, and, you know, all, all these sort of, you know, accom- accommodation requirements as well. We've, some would say, questionable success based on some of the videos that appear on social media of people spending 180 quid on a night on a what works out to be like a, a two-bed tent with two single beds down the side of the tent, a, a fan, a basic fan that you'd get in sort of Argos down the middle <laughs> to deal with temperatures that are already at about 30 degrees at like eight in the morning. And then they lift up the floor and it's just sand underneath, um, which is surprising in the desert, isn't it? Um, but but the, I think they probably thought that the the kind of respect and the show of just producing the, these this amazing kind of transformation of the country in order to host the world's most high profile and po- arguably the biggest, along with the Olympics, sporting event um, in the world that all the heat would sort of disappear. But actually, I think it's made... Like, no one really was... Before they got the World Cup, no one was talking about Qatar. No, you you wouldn't... It wouldn't... It would have probably been relatively high on Amnesty International's list of, um, you know, regimes in terms of their human uh, rights abuses. But it wasn't kind of really that conscious in terms of the mainstream. You know, the the ire really would have been turned on, you know, like the Taliban in Afghanistan and... uh, um, you know, like Saddam Hussein back in the day, and uh, you know wh- whoever else is kind of like the 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 the, the hot enemy at, the, at the, any given time. Whereas Qatar, kind of being such a micro state, really would have would have always slipped under the radar until they had the audacity to kind of get the World Cup. And so I, well, I would argue they, that but they more hosted negative. the world the World Athletic Championships in. 2019 no, there was no one there was there do you remember i mean it was awful <laughs> i felt so sorry yeah. for the gold medalist they had to after about five days of that being a completely empty stadium or pretty much empty it was like like 10 15 full they had to start paying locals turn up and watch athletics um 
which was really sad because like there were some world-class athletes who produced like the best performance and the best nights of their career during that time. And you just think, man, like, come on, <laughs> they deserve better than that. But there wasn't the play, you know, there wasn't the, the blowback as there no. is now. Yeah, quite so, right. Yeah. I'd say just to sort of emphasize your point about, you know, they probably didn't think it would be like this. Uh, no, but when, clearly yeah. the world, I mean, the world, world athletics championship is probably what about 5% the size of like in terms of like the interest around the world of the yeah. world cup and it happens every two years i mean the world cup is and massive, i think isn't it yeah and i think being awarded at the same time as when russia was awarded their yeah. world cup i think that this is like um yeah well i, I don't know yeah. though because they were both tarnished by together in 2010 weren't they so it's 12 years ago they both got their bid i mean funny enough i was thinking about this yesterday i, I don't remember if, I suppose a rude, rudimentary bit of research um, could have found this out. But I, normally they, they announce hosts for World Cups one at a time, four or five years apart. I can't remember the reason that they decided to do 2018 and 2022 together because it's kind of inexplicable. You look back now and you think, did you know that you were going to give the second one to a country that was going to have to build its entire infrastructure so it was going to need... 12 years notice rather than sort of eight years. It all, I don't know. I'd love to, if, you know, if I could be bothered, I would go back now and look at what the actual reason was given at the time. Cause it does all kind of make sense when you look at it like that. But this is the thing you refer to that, you know, you say, Oh, was it because they got awarded at the same time as Russia, but that wasn't considered that controversial at the time, because even though they were already at, at that stage, they hadn't invaded Crimea, but there was some. There was some quite Georgia. large. And exactly, they'd already attempted to, you know, um, uh, invade Georgia, and uh, there was some quite alarming. Um, you know, they'd started getting involved in um, sort of high-level Ukrainian politics already by that um, by that stage. So, but it is the biggest country in the world. They do have a, you know, it is a country that probably did warrant hosting a world cup just in terms of like the size of it. And, and it does have, I mean, it's not the, the most um, uh, vociferous football country in the world, but it is still a country that does love its football. So it, and it is, you know, clearly big enough to host a world cup. So I, I think that that made a lot more sense and alarmed far fewer people, although it probably was in terms of succeeding in that bid, You'd, you'd have to imagine there was a little bit of corruption involved with that as well as there was with the Qataris. But the Qatar just came out of nowhere. I think everyone had assumed that that World Cup was going to go to um, either the US or Australia. And it just Qatar, that was just a complete um, uh, sort of left field um, result. And the fact that it's such a tiny country as well. But <clears throat> to be fair, so far, I think, you know, once that initial heat has died off, predictably people then, as as they said all along, do start to just kind of focus on the football, but probably not as much as Qatar would like, and particularly not as much as Gianni Infantino uh, would like. And I mean, what Matt? Did you follow his incredible press conference the day before the tournament started on Saturday at all? Did you? All all I kept seeing was headlines that referenced. The different things that he'd called himself, yeah. But each, but each headline was referencing a different set of things that he'd. And I was like, bloody hell! How many things did he say he was 
He was. Yeah, he said. He said today I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm I will miss some out here or misquote some, but he basically <laughs> said I'm gay. I'm a migrant worker. I'm an Arab. I'm an African. I'm uh, disabled. Um, and his rationale behind it was, it seems, too. a woman. Did you say woman? a woman? Did he say a woman? Yeah. I'm not sure he have. did. I think he might have actually missed out women. Oh, he did. He, he, didn't, he did also make an incorrect claim that they'd managed to get women in stadiums in uh, Iran, and that's not actually true. Um, so, um, I mean, it was it was in, it was misjudged and insulting in so many respects. But what it demonstrated was the desperation, because FIFA are. I mean, it, it doesn't take me on on this fucking. Uh, um, no mark podcast to talk, to sort of cast aspersions upon FIFA. Everyone knows that FIFA is an abhorrent organisation that are sort of disgraceful in pretty much every conceivable way. You know, they 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 lack transparency, they lack accountability, they are um, launderers of money, they they sidle up with any kind of oppressive regime. In fact, I think Jerome Valk, when he was general secretary in the early 2010s, actually said on record that it was easier to have a World Cup hosted in a in an authoritarian regime because you just deal with direct decision-making and they don't have to consider sort of the people. Um, so that, you know, they, they are, they are a disgrace and, you know, it, you don't just have to look at who they kind of keep giving the tournaments to, but just the way in which they behave, the individuals that run the organization, the things that they say both on and off the record and have done over a long period of time. But for him to come out with, which to, his motivation behind doing that press conference must have been that it was the day before the World Cup was about to kick off. He's 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 made all these assurances to Qatar that you know you know that all their and let's face it, it's not controversial to say they would they would have there were a lot of FIFA executives who who've got a lot of grease on their palms um, from um, uh, voting for Qatar. And that it'll all be worth it. It would all pay off because, you know, everyone will just focus on the shiny uh, football and the amazing stadiums. But the fact that the day before the tournament, it was still all about armbands, supporting LGBT rights. It was people raising the issue of, of migrant workers. It was people talking about whether or not they'd be able to have a drink in the stadium. And it was just kind of relentless. And it, and again, I don't think this is as a result of being in a Western bubble. I do think that, you know, pretty much globally, these all these issues were being discussed as much, if not more so, than the football. And I think Infantino was essentially at the end of his tether. He was probably getting quite a lot of heat from the Qataris. He was probably feeling quite embarrassed because he's someone who... I mean, look, look at what, what he was doing in the last World Cup. He was sitting watching matches with um, Sheikh bin... Salman on one side and and Vladimir Putin on the other, you know. So this is a guy who likes to likes to make powerful autocrats uh, happy, and uh, he must have felt pretty pretty embarrassed um, that his sort of Qatari paymaster pals were uh, were feeling a bit um, a bit kind of uh, pissed off with what they got for their twenty two hundred billion <laughs> quid. Um, so, but to come out and express it like that, essentially throw all the sort of hypocrisy accusations at the West and then say he to claim that he then understands what it's like to be all of those people, all those sort of oppressed minorities based on, you know, gender, ethnicity, nationality or physical ability, sexuality, whatever. Um, seemingly on the basis that when he was younger, he was growing up in uh, Italy sorry, in Switzerland, but he was foreign because he was Italian and he had freckles and, and curly red hair. 
there's someone who's had a ginger tint to his hair uh, for most of his life. And, you know, even though I was never, I was never, you know, that, that sort of enough of a carrot top to warrant the, uh, the honor <laughs> of the, uh, the classic school bully, you'd still get the odd, you get the odd comment, ginger this, ginger that. I imagine if I suddenly turned around and said, I don't understand what it's like to be black or I understand what it's like to be in a wheelchair. Or I understand what it's like to be a woman in an oppressive society where, you know, you have no rights. Or I understand what it's like to be a migrant worker where you're essentially purchased by an organisation or a government and, and you know, flown across a continent to live in a fucking tent with no ventilation and where you're sharing a toilet with 18 people and going and working in 50-degree heat in the midday sun every single day to build a stadium for rich people to go and uh, um, uh, watch uh, the, the most, you know, some of the most highest paid uh, sports people in the world play football in, you know, and you just think it, the fact that the, the general uh, the um, president of FIFA felt compelled and comfortable enough in his own skin to make an outrageous kind of press conference statement it wasn't just a he wasn't like just shooting from the hip in a kind of off the cuff remark that went on for about an hour that press conference it's absolutely fucking crazy and the hypocrisy thing of like you i know we kind of started this podcast by kind of talking about that but and there is it is a worthy consideration i think any intelligent considered person should look at um you know nothing is ever kind of you know just binary and black and white is it there's there's shades to everything and nuance is something that kind of social media has driven out of our conversation. But there's nuance to to, to everything, um, even things that are you know very much kind of one way or the other, right and wrong. There's still there, there's always a little bit of detail there, and a little bit of context. But to, to kind of use historical, you know, a, a crimes by the West as a um, reason why it is then wrong and distasteful to and has no credibility to, to fire any criticism at Qatar is the worst type of kind of what aboutery that we get so much of these days. I had, I had Piers Morgan essentially doing a very similar thing. He was a, inexplicably a, a credible podcast, let him appear on the, um, and be interviewed uh, last week after he got his interview with, uh, with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And he was saying on there that essentially, you know, unless you as a country has got your own house in order, who are you to criticise the Qataris? And he was talking about us and saying, you know, when you got Suella Braverman as Home Secretary in there and and, and Pretty Patel before, and they, they're people who have talked about sinking boats, creating wave machines in the English Channel, and they that when people turn up, they're in these awful um, <coughs> holding camps where disease spreads and all that. And that is absolutely right. So, look, you know, but you can't, just because you live somewhere where... Uh, that is happening doesn't mean you can't also comment on what's happening elsewhere because if you go down that road because no one is perfect then what's ever you know what, what do we do we just live in a world where nobody comments on anything because you know of the the the, the possible and also i think the difference is that in this country we can if our government are treating immigrants like that should we wish we can vote them out whereas those migrant workers are treating them where they have absolutely no no power they have no, uh, no one represents them. You know, it, it takes kind of NGOs, well-meaning NGOs to kind of, and um, uh, media organisations, the free press from around the world to start raising the, their, their hands and say, look what the hell is going on over here. It's absolutely disgraceful. And there's a famous bit of footage of the, um, one of the um, senior Qataris being interviewed by, I think it was an American 
it was either a British or an American journalist a couple of years ago, and he was uh, he was saying all this shit about the migrant workers come over here, they get to stay in this amazing, incredible accommodation, they're so well looked after, and um, and the journalist who was interviewing him said, "Have you actually been there?" And he said, "Like, have you?" And and sort of back to the journalist and just said, "Yeah, I was there the other day." And and the, and the guy's this shake, his face just turned. And you could see like the panic in his eyes. And he basically refused to answer any more questions and ended the interview because, you know, he's not used to anyone sort of contradicting him. He's used to saying, yeah, the migrant workers live in palaces. Next question. What's that? There are no more questions. Okay, <laughs> bye. You know? So it's all, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just it's just a very strange set to, um, situation, sorry, context to kind of have a World Cup. And I try not to get too bogged down in the whole like winter thing because I think, okay, well, you know, there are parts of the world where it's their summer at the moment and it might make a pleasant change for them to actually have a World Cup where they're not sort of sitting in the cold and the dark um, like we are. And so you can't be too kind of, you know, Western European centric about it. But there is no doubt that, there are some things about this that are pretty appalling, and 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 purely from a football perspective as well, the kind of the, the obvious like scores and scores of fake fans that have been pl- uh, planted by the uh, Qatari regime, which are like standing out an absolute mile, um, and have been paid to sort of come from all over the region and the world to sort of wear the shirts of like random national teams and like look like they're having a great time and tweet positive things about the Qatari regime, the amount of empty seats in the stadium as well. Um, the booze thing is worthy of just a very quick comment because I, I, you know, I've heard people say it and it is right that, you know, alcohol is completely banned in a conservative Islamic country like Qatar. And that is clearly, you know, their right to have alcohol banned. And, um, you know, you should not expect just because you are used to drinking booze and getting tanked up when you go to football, that if you go to a, a conservative Islamic country like Qatar, you should be able to do so. However, it's an example of they they made assurances that actually they were going to allow for uh, football fans who are used to having a drink before they go to football to have a drink, and that that would be available in fan parks in designated areas around the, the sort of you know towns and cities and in the stadiums themselves. And for them to renege on that so close to the competition was an example of how, you know, essentially a commitment and a promise is is so um, cheaply kind of thrown out and then tossed away again. And, that, you know, there's no kind of, they didn't feel that any need to kind of make an explanation or an apology. It was just that this is now not happening. And you can say, okay, that's, that's, that's regardless, they shouldn't have to explain themselves to anyone. It's their country, their rules. But then why are you still allowed to have a drink in the stadium if you're spending £10,000 a seat in your corporate hospitality area? So when you consider that those those people are still able to have, you know, wine and beer or whatever during the game, you kind of think, OK, well, it's clearly less than to do with um, um, sort of principles, religious and, and, and cultural and social principles are much more to do with, OK, we'll look after the people who have got the real money, which really is then representative of the way in which migrant workers are treated as opposed to kind of, you know, businessmen who have, uh, who are kind of invested in the region and, you know, helping them deliver this sports washing project. So, yeah. So even with the booze thing, even though it is, you kind of, you think, I don't want to make too big an issue of that. Cause you just sound like English bloke likes going to football, drinking, 
has no cultural understanding of Qatar and therefore moans about it. But actually, as an example of something that was promised and then withdrawn and the hypocrisy of it not being an outright ban, but actually something that if you'd paid thousands of pounds for your seat, you would be able to do, kind of is, again, adds to the sort of quite icky feeling really about this World Cup. But, you know, we'll just now just enjoy watching the uh, football. And before we finish, just quickly, I mean, great start for England, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, yeah. And 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 also, I just loved how, you know, for, for some of the players who got a, a load of stick yep. following the Euros, come out and just, you know, Rashford, Saka, Sterling, he didn't take a penalty, but he got a lot of stick because he didn't because yep. he did step, despite being England's step best up. player all throughout the Euros yeah so brilliant yeah Just, yeah yeah I, I, I totally agree and I, you have to say that any team you know I think I think it's weird isn't it because despite the fact that England have done really really well in the last two tournaments got to a semi-final and a final in which they were a sort of penalty kick away from actually being European champions they've got into this tournament with what felt like really low expectations which I can only assume is on the basis that their form in the Nations League wasn't particularly good at the sort of back end of last season and throughout the summer, which really is quite poor. If, that, if that's the, genuinely the reason that people... Th- because you should never read too much into that. And that was at the end of a season when motiva- tiredness is high, motivation is maybe a little bit down and people are sort of protecting themselves for the the big season sort of that's coming up. And, and ultimately, under Gareth Southgate, whether you rate him as a coach or not, Frankly, why wouldn't you really? As his results just speak for themselves. Um, but you know, he, he under his leadership, England have never really disappointed at a major tournament. Just because they're beating Iran doesn't mean they're going to go and sweep the world before them. But to see them play with such freedom in their opening match, and they really seem to kind of enjoy playing together. And uh, they any like, like I was kind of about to say, any team that can bring people like Foden, Grealish and Rashford off the bench. There are not many countries out there who've got attacking talent like that to sort of, you know, come off the bench. If England are going to come unstuck, it will probably be at the back when they come against really good attacking teams who are a bit more organised. But, you know, fair play. Very good start. I almost found myself caring at one stage. (laughs) But not quite. No, no, I did. I did. Weirdly, when I listen to Robbie Savage on Five Live, that's the only time that I ever find any sort of, you know, I thought if I do have like a, a, a molecule of sort of English nationalism in me, it only comes out when I hear Robbie Savage. Because Robbie Savage, because <laughs> he's just such a moron. And I really like to see Wales do well. And I, I'm really enjoying watching and I want Wales to get through um, uh, through the group. And I always support him. And, but he's such a, an, a like a, bigot when it comes to England like he's such a like toys out the pretty just you know England of this England of that and he was hosting a phone in on five live on uh on Sunday night and he was actually saying I hope England lose every game and go out of the group because they're so arrogant I'm thinking you're a pathetic little man so because <laughs> because I dislike him so much I got this surge through me going oh, I hope we fucking stuff him now and I found myself I was thinking <laughs> wow that's probably what most people think like isn't it they, they get, <laughs> dive into that tribalism and uh so just for a moment for a flash second i uh i knew what it was like to care about england and there we go <laughs> so we'll be back um hopefully shortly with some more uh top end uh world cup analysis and observations uh 
you know, and um, this could be a, a, a sporting odyssey for you, Matthew, in which your love of football just gets deeper and deeper with every passing <laughs> day. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe indeed. So until <laughs> next time, goodbye from both of us. <laughs>